Hey, what's up, y'all? My name is Gary, and welcome to the second season of It's Personal. Okay, good. This is going to be really dope, but I don't want any <laughs> Kwame Mbalia. Uh, I'm an author. I'm Padma Venkatraman, the author of The Bird Home. Sure, yeah. My name is Natasha um, Diaz. Code switching and all those things. I mean, all, all of that. All the time. I mean, he's still on the road all the time, but you know, like as a new mom. The relationship that I have cultivated from there. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> This is amazing. Right. So, <laughs> so I'm just gonna lay it in front of me so it doesn't make sense. So we'll do um, I'll try to keep you for like 25, 30 minutes. Oh, I'm um, good. and again That's I'll great. ask and if there's any questions that you feel are like uncomfortable or you don't want to answer, um, please just be like, I'm okay or um, <laughs> I'll pass or whatever it is. Yeah, I, yeah, I, no issues. I really try to as much as possible. Um, just like we were just talking about like COVID and everything else like I really try to make sure the conversation lends itself that way um, just so you're comfortable yeah I'm That's good okay yeah. yeah it sounds great no no I'm <laughs> awesome. good I'm good I'm, I mean you know I teach so I'm used to answering you anything do. And everything. I'm excited yeah, to hear yeah. about that too. <laughs> there's so many things I want to ask you <laughs> all right I'm just gonna try to have record there I'll set okay okay all right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. Uh, today, I have a special guest. With, I always say special guest, and I think that's because everyone that I ask on this podcast is someone that I, like, truly admire. Um, I often talk about them in the classroom or use their books. Um, I'm just really excited to have her with us today. Um, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I, my name is Sayantani Dasgupta. Shayantani um, Dashgupta, if you're pronouncing it the Bengali way. Um, I am a educator. I'm a parent. I'm a apparently a New York Times bestselling author of the Kiran Mala and the Kingdom Beyond series, which is a um, fantasy adventure series from Scholastic. And there are three books in the series now out: The Serpent's Secret, Game of Stars, and The Chaos Curse, which came out. March 3rd of 2020, right? Wow. Right in time for COVID. <laughs> Which is crazy just to think about. I know I've been online a bunch and I've been seeing authors, um, debut authors, having to find ways just to promote their books, talk about their books because they can't be in spaces with people. So um, I feel for them, I feel for everyone just kind of going through um, this world right now. Um, so how, how are you doing? Um, and I know that's a, a little bit of a loaded question as well. Um, how are you managing? Has everything been okay um, on your end? Yeah, I mean, I think um, as okay as it can be, and mm -hmm. again, knock wood, I feel pretty lucky mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I've been able to kind of shelter outside New York with my family, my parents live relatively nearby and you know knockwood they've been okay and i've been able to see them um when we went offline i teach at a university so when we went on, or online in march um i was actually really worried for my teaching style because i'm the mm. sort of professor who really enjoys kind of physical presence and being in community with one another and you know considering my students kind of 
co-problem solvers and co-teachers. And in my head, because I hadn't done extensive teaching online, mm -hmm. I was worried that going online would somehow, you know, change the nature of my teaching. And, and although it's changed it, it certainly hasn't changed it for the worse. In fact, it, it's interesting. I was lucky enough that I had already kind of found community in the classrooms that I taught in and teaching online during late spring, particularly since I teach at a university in New York City, which was getting hit pretty hard, mm -hmm. um, was actually a really powerful experience. I mean, it was mm -hmm. scary, it was difficult, all of that, but to really understand the weight of what we teachers and we students were all doing for one another to kind of witness one another's experiences Mm -hmm. right with the pandemic and just kind of hold one another close in community it was mm -hmm. actually really powerful i mean i um i haven't had a such a kind of growing you know enriching mm -hmm. and frightening teaching experience ever mm -hmm. like in 20 years mm -hmm. of teaching wow. Wow. um yeah so it was you know i i went into it thinking like oh how can online teaching be anything like in person and of course it's not but i think mm -hmm. um holding one another kind of in community is really important at times mm -hmm. of strife and mm -hmm. it's something i teach about and it was really powerful to recognize that we were thinking about witnessing in moments of trauma and doing it like we were mm -hmm. witnessing one another mm -hmm. in moments of trauma mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. as we were talking about it so mm -hmm. that was interesting yeah it's and it's such a i think it's an odd thing to say but i 100 percent agree with you like and I see it online, like people are finding joy and finding just things within this world where things feel like they're falling down that is making them feel excited, making them see things differently, making them change things, which it's just, I guess, the beauty of being a human. And that's, we always adjust. We always figure something out for the most part. Um, and we're pretty lucky that way. Yeah, I mean, I think it brings out like the best and the worst, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, you know, hopefully, if we're being attentive, we're working on bringing out the best in us. And uh, agreed. I don't know, kind of like, kind of brings you down like to your essential core. Like you start mm -hmm. to think, like, what's really important? What's really to me? important? Yeah, hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. And I think one of the main things I, I'm so curious about is just like your story in general. Um, and I've 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 read online and I've read. Uh, two of your books and I just think that your story is so like cool and interesting um, how you got to writing um, novels for kids because I know that you've written like a memoir before you've done stuff like with adults and I, I would also be curious of like what do you like the most like do you like writing for kids do you like writing for adults so I just find that really interesting so let me go back again let's start with just your story tell me about like your childhood, what did that look like for you growing up? So I'm an immigrant daughter. My parents immigrated from Kolkata, India um, in the late 60s. Um, I grew up in Ohio and then in New Jersey. And um, growing up in Ohio as like one of the only brown kids <laughs> in the area was, you know, it was a thing, it was an mm -hmm. experience. Um, but I also happened to grow up in a pretty activist household. Um, my parents were, you know, very able to kind of name what was happening for me. 
Um, I often say that, you know, in my books, my character Kiran Mala starts her adventure when a Rakkosh, which is a Bengali folktale monster, like busts into her kitchen. And I say, you know, when I go on school visits that in my childhood, it wasn't a Rakkosh, it wasn't an actual monster with fangs and teeth and horns, but it was racism was the monster that kind of crashed into my kitchen. And I kind of thought about the fact that it wasn't until I really got to name that monster as something outside of myself, not a problem with me, not a problem with my family, but something outside of myself that was busting into my kitchen, right? That was kind of systemically committing violence on me that I could kind of get free of its power. Um, so, you know, that was my childhood. My mom was pretty involved in, at first, kind of mainstream feminist movements and then women of color feminist movements. And so I literally was brought up in, like, meetings, stuffing envelopes <laughs> and, like, going to marches mm -hmm. and, like, you know, holding candles and mm -hmm. getting lifted on people's shoulders because I was, like, too short mm -hmm. during march or something. And um, <laughs> And then like hilarious contradictory things, like my mom eventually formed a um, kind of anti-violent South Asian women's group. Um, and so we, were, we would be like cooking samosas to bring down the patriarchy. Like we'd be cooking samosas <laughs> to sell, to fund the women's group, to bring down the patriarchy. Like it was like kind of awesome. So, um, so it was- That is amazing. Uh, right? it was, I mean, now that I look back on it, I recognize that not all kids were maybe growing up this way, but for me, it felt pretty normal at the time. Um, and it undoubtedly influenced, you know, my path. Wow. And I think, I guess it's so funny because I was going to ask, like, how much has your childhood influenced what you do today? And there you go. If you know, if anyone else knows what you're already doing, um, I'm not even going to ask you to say it. Like, go online and check it out because it's, you are a product of your mom. <laughs> that childhood. And also recognizing, like, it's contradictory. Like, it's, uh -huh. it's okay. Like, you know, it's mm. like you're going to be cooking samosas in one minute and you're going to be, you know, fighting for justice. I love it. At, I love it. Not even at the next minute, at the same minute. Like, those, mm -hmm. you know, caregiving, and fighting for equality actually, or fighting against inequity, fighting for justice are, mm -hmm. I think, a part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so when people ask me like, oh, you know, I'm trained as a pediatrician. So when people ask me like, you're a pediatrician, you're a parent, you're a teacher, now you write children's books. Mm -hmm. um, those things seem really disparate, they seem really different. And to me, it all kind of comes from caring for young people being interested in young people's stories. Um, it also comes from that um, place, like that example I think my parents set for me, which is that bringing up young people, whether it's your own kids or kids in a classroom or young folks, you know, young adults in a classroom, um, caring for their education, that's an act of social justice. You know, mm -hmm. that's kind of the example mm -hmm. that I was given. And so to me, whether I'm writing for kids or raising my own kids or teaching in a classroom or in the past when I was still seeing patients, you know, caring mm -hmm. for young people's health, to me, it all kind of comes from the same place. Mm -hmm. And let me just add, like, what a brilliant human you are. And thank you for what you're doing for the world, because you just listed and I already knew, but you just listed like 10 things that you do and you're only one human. <laughs> no, no, well, thank you. I mean, I'm very humbled, but also remember, you know, 
I'm older than you. <laughs> you know, I've lived a few years. That um, doesn't you, matter. You no, know, you can't do everything at the same time. Like I had this mentor who always told me, you know, you can you can do it all. You can't just all do it at the same time. The same you know, time. life mm-hmm. comes in waves, mm-hmm. and it's okay. Mm-hmm. You do I know, and you I can. think that's awesome. I love that people. I love hearing stories about people like you who are able to not just adjust, but also like do well in those positions um, and not just changing because you want to change positions. Like you're changing positions because there's a purpose for that. Like, and I, and I love like the idea around that being able to adjust based on, okay, I think there's a need here for this. This is why I'm going to change or I'm going to switch or I'm going to add it on to something that I'm already doing. I love that. I love that. Or it's kind of um, like coming down to your core self and asking yeah, yourself I, like, I agree. what matters to me, you know, and am exactly. I doing the thing that matters to me mm-hmm. in the best way that I can? Mm-hmm. Um, am I using my skill set to its best ability when I'm 90 or a hundred or whatever, you know, we all get to be hopefully, um, mm-hmm. am I going to look back and regret not doing something? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a really good way to think about it. And then of course there's just, the reality of life too. I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I always tell my students, I am not one to say like in an unequivocal way, follow your dreams to anyone Mm -hmm. because I don't know. I feel like people who can say that have a lot of like secret privilege that they're not letting, like there's a big trust fund somewhere that somebody's not talking about. Right. Paying rent is a thing. Feeding your kids is mm-hmm. a thing. Like, mm-hmm. you got to do those things first. Mm-hmm. And then, I, I hate that question. Right? I, I 100% agree with you. And I also, like, I often hear, um, like, what do you want to be when you grow up as well? And I find that's such a, I find it as a very, it can be a very problematic question to ask kids because, like, they could say so many different things, but their circumstances could say otherwise, right? Um, yeah, I 100%. I agree with you. Uh, you mentioned something before about um, the race, racism as a monster. Mm. And I think that's so powerful in a sense. It's like just how you said it, but I'm wondering about just like your childhood and like, what are some of those experiences? Um, what I try to do as much as possible on this podcast is bring in um, those who, um, I don't know, I think I heard it was Tiffany Jewell or Brittany Hawthorne talk about using the term like the global um, majority instead of minority. And I think every time I bring someone on who's in that group, they have these experiences that they have this one experience among many others, but there's always one or two experiences that they can like name it to a T and like every detail, who the person is, how it happened, um, where they've had to face racism at like a really young age. Um, I'm wondering, like, what is that story for you? Or what did that look like for you growing up in a space where I, I think I remember you saying, like, it, you were the only one that kind of looked, looked, looked like you. It was definitely a series of... lots and lots of microaggressions for sure it was why doesn't the dirt come off your skin like you're dirty why Mm -hmm. you know it was all that sort of stuff it was um 
and of course being south asian there was like a combination of just straight up why you know why does your skin look like this kids rubbing mm. up my skin like that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and then there was kind of equal amounts of kind of xenophobia slash orientalism exoticism like mm -hmm. oh do you ride elephants do you eat snakes mm -hmm. like there's that mm -hmm. sort of stuff too there was both um kind of skin color based discrimination and then there was go home you don't belong here mm -hmm. xenophobia kind of discrimination uh, right mm -hmm. um and both of those things kind of exist towards the same ends you know unfortunately mm -hmm. um they're you know there are kind of innumerable um, situations of feeling like that um, in my childhood. One that I do remember is, you know, we got tar in our mailbox. And I just remember, um, you know, I just remember um, my parents actually being able to articulate that to me. And it was such a gift for them to be able to say to me what was happening to be able mm -hmm. to say to me like this is racism this is wrong mm -hmm. and i don't think that that um like the structural knowledge comes easy to young people i think mm -hmm. regardless like i came I, I you know i came from this activist household i came from this family where people were able to tell me this is not something wrong with us. This is something wrong with the people who are doing this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yet you still internalize it. There's like internalized self-hatred. There's internalized colorism. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, it takes years to disentangle that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think that there's really complicated dynamics in all communities, in the South Asian community. You know, it's both about disentangling this artifice of the model minority myth. It's about disentangling anti-blackness in the South Asian community. It's about disentangling colorism. <laughs> like, oh, you're a pretty girl. If only you weren't so dark. Like, oh, I got a lot of that. <laughs> oh boy. So sad that, so sad that you're so dark. So sad mm -hmm. you didn't take after your mom. My mom is very light skinned. Um, so sad you didn't take after your mom. You know, if you were a boy, it would have been okay. But you know girl it's not so it's like, that's like misogyny colorism it all works together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the thing i always tell particularly kind of asian i was just speaking to some students yesterday i tell mm -hmm. asian american students or south asian american students is you know it's both about disentangling those problematics in our communities but it's also about remembering our activist histories i really think mm -hmm. that the, the model minority myth is also about um, it's about triangulating communities. It's about using Asian Americans, right, against Black communities. But it's also about us forgetting that, you know, folks of color, Indigenous folks, have stood shoulder to shoulder for decades, right, mm -hmm. in this country and other mm -hmm. countries, doing anti-imperialist work, doing anti-racist work. We come from long traditions of activism, and I think mm -hmm. that um, tapping into those histories and claiming those histories, I think is really, really important work. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was also really important to connect what I was experiencing in this country as an immigrant daughter back to kind of the anti-imperialist work that generations before me did in South Asia. Mm -hmm. I go to visit my grandma um, who was 
very involved in kind of nationalist work when they were kicking the British out. I feel a trend. There's a trend going on in your family. Oh, yeah. And so there'd be these little old ladies who are like my grandma's friends who show I up. I love it. And you look at them and they're like these old sorry clad ladies. And then my mom would be like, yeah, she has a PhD and she's also a black belt in judo. And I'd be like, what? She'd be like, yes, but get her some tea. <laughs> oh yeah she was in jail for years because she like smuggled guns from the british and i'd be like what <laughs> so, that's amazing right? so being able to you know i claim those women as my ancestors mm. you know mm -hmm. and, and they mm -hmm. are many of them but i i want to encourage young folks asian american young folks who are kind of looking at what's going on in this country right now I want them to both disentangle kind of the mm -hmm. problems in their communities, but I also want them to claim their activist history and mm -hmm. be in solidarity mm -hmm. um, with other communities of color and indigenous communities. Wow, wow. And I'll very quick, because I want to go back to you and your family. Um, so what does that conversation look like for you and your kids? Because they're living it. Like there's, it's like outside their windows um, and they're coming, I'm assuming to you with, questions and thoughts and ideas um what does that conversation look like what are some of the things they're asking or wondering you know my own kids you mean yeah so my own kids are 17 and 15 and so they're um they're old enough really to have already been involved in um either you know um student organizing like students of color groups um kind of organizing around issues at their school or in their communities. Um, they've, you know, been with me kind of doing my work for a long time. They've seen their grandmother doing her work. Um, so for them, I think it's, um, you know, like for me, I, I think it's a really important time to recognize, um, you know, our country and our world. I'm not talking about COVID. I'm really talking about mm -hmm. um, the way that our country and our world is really awakening, mm -hmm. not that, you know, it hasn't been there before, but really awakening in a collective way to anti-Black racism and racism in general um, and to police violence. Um, so I think for them, they recognize that, you know, um, things are a mess, but things are also being done and it's inspiring mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. And I always try to teach them, you know, wherever you stand, that's where your work is. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't be everywhere mm -hmm. and you don't, we don't all have all the same skill set. Maybe you're a writer, then your work is in the writing. Yeah. Maybe you're a student, then your work is in your school community or mm -hmm. your classroom, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think that there's big or small ways to do the work. I think you gotta do the work where you stand. If you're in a mm -hmm. family where you just have to talk about it because people that's aren't getting, then that's your work. Mm -hmm. I, that's a great message. And I think people forget that sometimes they may feel like, what do I do? I can't do anything. But like, you're, for the most part, most people, I think, in general, you're interacting with someone. And I think you can talk and have that conversation, at least, um, to start it. Because that's the hardest part, is just having someone there to talk about or to talk to. Um, and I think one of the other things, like, I was wondering, like, what, are, what about your students? Um, what are their ideas or thoughts or questions around some of the things that they're seeing? You know, I, te I teach in a program called Narrative Medicine. So it's really about um, healthcare and how do we 
kind of honor each other's stories in healthcare, but I also have an appointment in race and ethnicity studies. So I teach basically mm -hmm. around racism in medicine. Mm -hmm. Is this um, Columbia? You, mm -hmm. I think it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I teach at Columbia. Um, this spring, I happened to be teaching a class um, called Visionary Medicine, and we were really it, uh, on the whole title of the class is Visionary Medicine, Race, Health, and Speculative Fiction. Oh. So we were really thinking forward, like, who is teaching us how to like how to dream about the future in a positive way mm -hmm. um and we were going to like speculative fiction authors like octavia butler right um to really help us think about you know before we can make it be we have to dream it and we have to like dream it into reality um walida imarisha who's a thinker i love to go to i love her work mm -hmm. um you know says all activism all social justice movements are speculative fiction or science fiction because they seem outlandish before you can make them happen, right? They seem mm -hmm. like spaceships. Mm -hmm. um, so already I think we were kind of delving together into anti-racist work. Mm -hmm. So um, we were kind of, I remember my students being like, Sayantani or Dr. Nesgivdate or whatever they're calling me. Um, all semester we were talking about radical imagination and we were talking about how to and now we're talking about visionary and now we're living it and i was like i know now wow. is now is the chance to go do the work wow. um, we were always doing it but now is a different sort of an opportunity to do the work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think that's so interesting because they're gonna always come with questions and come with like wonderings and to be living in that experience is just like it doesn't always happen it, it, it just doesn't always happen and though the circumstances and situation and all that stuff can be hard sometimes it's good that they're actually like seeing it as well I think that's so important I think that's so so important um this uh, one more question for you and I think what what do you do for um just like self-joy um, what are the things that you use to um, re-energize yourself? Um, because for one, you're a very busy lady. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm wondering what do you do to, to continue to, to be upbeat and um, uh, continue to give so much to the world? What do you do? I'm, I'm gonna guess that you're gonna agree with my answer. I'm gonna guess that you do the same thing. <laughs> Working with young people. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're in a classroom with real young kids, whether you're with college students, whether I'm with my own, young folks, they just have an energy and optimism, a kind of forward looking that then in partnership, maybe with experience, right? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a powerful thing to change the world. Mm -hmm. So I keep myself upbeat by, um, you know, recognizing that. I'm a learner too, even if I'm the teacher. Mm -hmm. And so this summer, uh, some of my colleagues were teasing me. They were like, you just can't stop, can you? I've been <laughs> doing a lot of like reading groups with former students. They're not my students anymore, but mm -hmm. we're like, we're reading this bridge called my back together, which is a great collection, right? I love collection, it, right? I love it. And we're just revisiting it together. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I did a few writing projects with some young folks um, who 
school are my former students. Um, we wrote, I just wrote a piece on called, oh, I probably can't talk about it, but I just wrote a piece. I was like, <laughs> well, oh, wait a minute. you can if you want to. <laughs> but I just recognize that I'm not supposed to talk about it publicly until it comes out. Um, but I wrote a piece about kind of medicine, I won't say the title of it, but about medicine's role in, um, you know, thinking about kind of public health answers to public safety. Um, so thinking about kind of what's medicine's role in disentangling its own histories of violence and racism and working towards kind of anti-racist futures. So I don't know, I think um, it's really important to stay learning and stay humble and for me recognize that I have stuff to give but I also have so much to learn, so much to read, so much to um, so much to learn from other people and that's how I've been keeping myself going because otherwise this quarantine stuff is hard. Uh, it's very, <laughs> it's very hard. hard. It's, it's very, hard. Very hard. I mean, I also, you know, I watch K-drama with my children. We were mm -hmm. watching, you know, good escapist television. It's good. Hamilton comes out today. I'm very excited mm -hmm. about that. Um, you know. See, so you have little things that kind of keep you. Yeah. You want, does it, I see that you like watching, like, um, baking shows or something. I really enjoy... Um, <laughs> And all, I think there's something there. We're gluten free. I, I you know, um, have to be gluten free for, you know, health reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's some envy there that I watch a lot of baking. <laughs> That's hilarious. That looks really good, but I can't eat it. So I don't know what the weird psychology is there That's about hilarious. watching baking shows. <laughs> I can't eat it, but I love watching it being made. I love that. <laughs> That is so good. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Thank you for just spending, I don't know how long it's been, maybe 35 minutes or so. Um.